0: On a bonus episode of Entitled Town, we welcome back Dave Brown. My name is Mike Irons. I'm joined by Dave, Patrick Scartelli, Dan Staley, John Irons, and Dr. Joyce Brothers.
1: And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with your booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy.
0: This is Entitled Town. Thank you. As always, to Rick and Dow. Dave, it's been a while. Uh, welcome back as a guest on your own show. Um, it's good to see you back in the arena dueling again uh, with your evisceration of the PFF snake oil peddler and clapping back on Gasper Lighting. He's on a six day and counting grave, grave digging meltdown. What the hell is going on?
1: I feel like maybe he's been going to therapy and that his psychiatrist is Al. I think that's about the only way I can sort it out. Because he seems to have lost connection to reality and now has that effect on people, I've noticed.
0: That's true. It's it, it, it's almost I'm not trying to make light of it. It is like he's he's we're, off his meds a little bit. It's we're specifically what what is he we're talking
1: about Chris Gasper. I think that's important to you are starting off with Gasper, yeah. yes. Okay. I think I think the audience we, we you said Gasper lighting. And um, let's be clear. We're talking about Chris Gasper lighting.
0: The uh, former yes, Chris Gasper lighting. Is there is there any other kind?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's Felger lighting. There's big gym lighting. There's uh, you could you could go on and on. I mean, really, any one of these people are all gas lighting. And Chris just has a name that happens to fit in there nicely. So.
0: Yeah. Well, Scartelli's here. Scartelli last couple of days uh, six days and counting for gasper um he is gaslighting he's not producing any content i don't understand what he's doing it's just being an obstinate dick
2: he's not changing any minds i don't think there's there's a you know a group of uh twitter followers that you could fit in a photomap booth that are going to you know go down with the ship with him and you know bless their souls but otherwise Like you say, he's simply uh, simply being a dick about this. It really
0: it's I don't get it. Dan, do you have any possible explanation for what he's trying to accomplish here?
3: Well, there is a little bit of an air of superiority whenever he has to come on to uh, tell us uh, lowly fans what I would call it gasp explaining. (laughs) <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> say no this is this is what we reporters do you have to understand this if you had the same job that we do if you had all the training if you had been a we well, yeah, i think he had one he said he's been a columnist since 2009 then then we could understand so maybe maybe he's just feeling real frustrated that he has to explain it to so many a, of us
0: it's one of those things right if you're always telling people how honest you are the, the reality is you're probably not the lack this, the lack of Self awareness, John, combined with this overinflated self-importance.
4: Uh, well, chime in here. Yeah, I uh, seven days now counting or so of, of this sort of meltdown. You know, I feel like Andy Dufresne going through the sewage tunnel at the end of Shawshank as I as I go through this. You know, seven day list of tweets. The one that jumped out at me. I mean, everybody, we all have our theories, and maybe none of them make sense, but the the one that jumped out at me was the somebody uh, you know made a point about journalism. You know, bad journal. What is journalism? And and of course, he's the professional journalist. I felt like that. Of all the things that triggered him, that kind of triggered him a little bit. Is kind of to Dan's point, the yeah. the sort of you know that whether it's the ego, the hubris, the arrogance, Mike of of he's a professional journalist. He has the journalism training and. The the, the, great unwashed, the great unwashed masses on Twitter would dare, you know, you know, comment on his journalism skills. You know, I mean, it's just he had a bad take. It was a gaslighting garbage take that he made a week ago about a fifth round pick that got cut without ever playing a down. Meanwhile, teams like the Titans are cutting a first round pick. Oh, I mean, that guy did play three snaps. So I guess it wasn't quite as big a bust as as the fifth rounder for the Patriots. But you know, this everybody who's a sophisticated, serious fan knows this happens, knows that the draft is a bit of a crapshoot, especially as you get into the mid to late rounds. And Gasper mm-hmm. trying to make a huge point about a fifth rounder getting cut. I think it ended up blowing up in his face.
0: Yeah, he's loosely Gasper in the past week, he's loosely compared his profession. To neurosurgeons, psychologists, and tradespeople—people people who actually make living wages—Dave, I honestly don't know how you can't sit back in different times when you could actually sit in the uh, the press room at Gillette. You got to be sick to your stomach reading this reading this stuff, and you actually shared air with these people at one time. Those people.
1: Yeah, I mean, ima- I mean, imagine I mean, it was toxic air before there were viral droplets to worry about. Believe me, but um, you know. <laughs> going going I mean this is a completely different experience that I think I'm having observing all of this because I have gone through I believe to some degree to a much lesser degree I think I've gone through what Chris is going through right now and you know the bubble the bubble that was like around him and the feedback loop to help him believe that he was an expert who's kind of above it all right Mm -hmm. the 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 way he's been described you guys have been describing earlier like he has this this air of superiority that doesn't happen by accident and you go back to when he started so i've known i've known chris since like 2006 he came on i think at the beginning of that season with the globe and you know the, the way i know chris is like talking to him at games and talking to him at practices from back then and then when i came back in 2016 um and the, like, he lived in my neighborhood for six years and I didn't find out until um, I moved out of the neighborhood. Okay, like, but, but now I, if I can envision him just like wandering around by my old uh, tea station, um, just, just jamming on Twitter and trying to deal with all these things because he's going <laughs> through this thing right now where you find out that you, you might not be the expert you think you are. And, and not only that, but that you might be more of a bad faith actor than you realize.
0: Because when you start- He's not this smart stuff, enough to realize it, Dave. That's what I would posit. Well,
1: uh, you know, I, I just want to, I want you to understand all of the forces working against you understanding it. Because in 2006, when you start writing stories, if you have a bad take or a ridiculous premise, the only way you're really going to hear about it is through email and, or a letter to the editor. An email. Emails, the
0: email was the sort of thing that would Dan Shaughnessy would then contact your employer if you <laughs> dared,
1: and <laughs> I know have
0: first hand experience with that myself.
1: Well, you'd you'd think, oh, these people are like crazy people, you know, and you were right at least half the time. Like if somebody to sit down, take the time to email you, go through all that stuff, so you you it's, so it starts to become to become really easy to dismiss anyone who criticizes you that's our natural human instinct to begin with and these people who write letters to the editor and emails are like nuts as you start getting exposed to twitter you deal with a lot of people and um and people it's a lot easier for people to just say what they think they don't have to go through the effort of writing you an email or or god forbid a letter to the editor um and i used to open when i was an intern at the at the globe for a summer i used to open the letters to the editor and read all of them and and 90% of them are completely just complete madness. So mm-hmm. it's easy to, to dig in your heels and start to think, okay, eh? there's these handful of people out here criticizing me, but they don't represent the real readers, the silent people who just love what I'm doing. And then the Globe tells you, the Boston Globe says, you're good, you're good enough to be a columnist. Here you go. You've got the keys to the kingdom. You must be some kind of a, a great commentator and, and have witty analysis. And it really just kind of reinforces this idea in yourself. So here comes Chris, who throughout the entire time he was at the Globe, would go on Twitter, would say something stupid, and then kind of just go away, right? I remember I had a thing with him about Chandler Jones in, t- in 2017 where his, his theory was like the Chandler Jones trade was terrible. Bill didn't get enough. I don't care that they went to two Super Bowls immediately after, right? <laughs> I don't care about Joe Tooney. I don't care about any of it. Uh, no, I, I look at it and I say the Chandler Jones trade like, was the pivotal move of the whole decade and lined up those next two yes. championships. But, okay. But, but fine, that Chris had a different opinion. And then Chris would kind of, like, not respond to those things, would just disappear and, and go away. Now he's on television. And I would guess, like, like, since he's gone to Channel 5, he's shown up more on Twitter. And maybe there's, like, a mandate from Channel 5. Who knows? Maybe it's a tweet a certain number of times. Maybe it's more time on his hands. I have no idea. But here's Chris all of a sudden, being exposed to people who, I've been through this. When I had my run-ins with Bill Belichick, I was immediately on Twitter just having people come at me and saying things to me that I hadn't considered before. I like to think that I spent a good amount of time talking to people and trying to understand what they were telling me and and, and growing as a result of it and trying to like integrate some of the things that people told me. Chris, on the other hand, I think is in too deep. I think I described it yesterday as like he's like a, a stormtrooper who just found out that the Empire has a really bad record <laughs> on human rights. Like he's, oh no! Like what do you mean? Like we we blew up Alderaan. They had it coming, right? Like like he's looking around at Darth Vader and, and the Emperor, like dude, no. And that's like Shaughnessy and um, you know and Bob Ryan or, or Volan or whoever. Like they get well. I don't know if Volen gets it. Well, I don't know if Volen gets anything. No. But Shaughnessy gets it. Dan Shaughnessy's the emperor. He gets it. Felger and Shaughnessy, the emperor, Darth Vader. They understand that this is a bad faith operation, that they are entertaining people, and that they are pushing buttons to get attention. It's awful, but it's a slightly different brand of awful than what Chris is doing. Chris was indoctrinated into all this stuff, Mm -hmm. and now he is melting down because the facade of, hey, I'm this great expert, is starting to melt. And he has to go and fight for that. And it's, I mean, it's what you work for as a journalist. He's fighting for his professional integrity. And it's really embarrassing. That's not how you get it done, I don't think, on Twitter.
0: It's, it's interesting that you compare him to, uh, or should I say, Shaughnessy and Felger. I wouldn't say that they're mm-hmm. Darth Vader. I'd say they're da- more dark helmet than Darth Vader. And we'll have to go into this a little, little bit later today, because I want to find out uh, what round you had drafted in the Globe intern draft, or if you were undrafted free agent. <laughs>
1: I
4: was. Uh, <laughs> I think I was. I think I was undrafted.
0: Was... All right, uh, John, the floor is yours.
4: Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's fun to be on here with Dave. Having been a you know longtime listener, first time caller with you, Dave. The uh, lit, I, you know, I was I was wondering if you might go down the William Randolph Hearst. You know, remember the main as you started us through the journalistic, you know, the the pathway here. I've always yeah. enjoyed you know listening to the way you kind of you know piece things together. But you used the word expert a couple times, and uh, yeah. something that struck me is. The democracy, you know, what social media has done, what Twitter has done, you know, moving away from the world of letters to the editor into this direct and instantaneous feedback. It's kind of the the democratization of expertise and and your point at the end about, you know, Gasper kind of growing up in a world to some degree that is it's it doesn't look like what he started out in. Right. I mean, no no longer an echo chamber. And nobody's buying his expertise. Right, nobody's buying his expertise. I think that's what's kind of coming out on Twitter that he's alone on the wall, you know, trashing Belichick over a fifth round pick, and the the armies are hitting him relentlessly with that's a bad take, you know, explaining that that's a bad take. This this kind of like I said, d- democratization of expertise. You know, we know more collectively than Chris Gasper does, right? And and by yeah. the way, and I would say, you know, what's the evidence of that? You know, what how do you how do you measure that? You know, rando person on twitter may know more well i would say the fact that the the collective boston media couldn't break a single free agent signing they couldn't break the cam newton signing they couldn't break matt juden or you know they couldn't break the fact that you know what what belichick was cooking you know when they were they were creating these false narratives i mean there's a lot to believe if you're out here in social media that that these guys really are bad faith actors and they don't have a tremendous amount of expertise so when when they put a hot take together on twitter and then they get you know, they get trashed for it. I mean, that's that's the world they've helped create. You know, they've they've helped create this sort of world with their bad faith narratives and, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know social media allows for people to push back against this garbage when they get fed up with it. Well, there's this logical framework that everything works within.
1: And by the way, I was like grimacing there. So th- this is a good example of of like they say that I pander to, to Patriots fans, and this is a good example where I'm gonna stop and go you know, I don't know that, that your example of not breaking stories is what I would consider expertise necessarily, because that's just guys like, um, that's just about developing relationships. I mean, you don't have to be an expert to break a story. You just have to be friends with the agent or fake Donnie or whoever, but well, I think um, it's
0: an example of the Patriots doing business well, rather than the journalists not doing their jobs well. Cause they've plugged the leaks in the building.
1: Maybe, maybe who knows? Like it, we can get into, we could do a whole like six hours on just how these things get sourced and whatever. But uh, here's, here's the thing about expertise, is that you have to, there's this logical framework that the, the industry operates within. So when somebody comes to you and they're like, wait a minute, you're an analyst who, who's never coached football and you're, you're analyzing football coaches. You don't evaluate personnel. Uh, you have no, even for the people who watch the All 22 and comment on it, you've never worked in an NFL organization why should I trust you? And that question is immediately ejected in space. And they build this logical framework of shared wisdom. And anything that operates within the shared wisdom is considered expertise. And everything outside of the shared wisdom is the real world. And they don't exist in that real world. So for a guy like Chris to like start seeing people come at him and deconstruct this logical framework has got to be like, it's got to be maddening. It's just like a mind-bending, um, mm-hmm. your worldview is coming apart at the seams. Um, but one of the things that you have to account for is when, you, when you're exposed to an audience as large as Twitter, of mm-hmm. course, there are going to be people who are smarter than you, who, who may also not be, you know quote, in the building. They may not have experience with, with franchises, um, working with an NFL franchise or evaluating talent or coaching at any level. But they're smarter than you, and and we, you know if you have seven thousand followers like I do, Chris has fifty three thousand. Someone's good. There's somebody out of one out of fifty three thousand people is going to be smarter than you, Chris. Probably more than one. Probably hundred or two hundred. And you have to sit there and go, okay, uh, I should probably start listening to somebody's ideas, start considering things, maybe adjust my worldview a little bit. Mm-hmm. And for but there's a reason why the I call them the bad faith punditry cannot do that. And it's because they started from a position of bad faith. Again, I don't know if Chris understood this when he got into it, but it, it's starting to reveal itself when he is calling out Joe Cardona and saying that might oh not God. have been a great pick. <laughs> that might have been a wasted pick. Because that,
0: that's gaslighting. That stat. is Gasper lighting.
1: Did you see that comment? Yes. It's, he this. said he wasn't sure about Cardona because Cardona had one bad step at Super Bowl 53. That's a game they won. And it's like. <laughs> He filled a key role so far for six years. Like if you only have to, if you only have to draft one long snapper in six years, bring one guy into your organization in six years, you're doing a pretty good job. And as a Giants fan, let me tell you about Trey Junkin. Okay. (laughs) Like, let me tell you about Trey Junkin, where you're like bringing the guy in off the street. And then he just like, like throws a playoff game into oblivion. And I, 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 the, the, listen to where you are Patriots fans in 2018 you won the super bowl in 2019 you won your division and last year you went seven and nine and i i I was saying today i think any other organization besides the chiefs right now would sign up for that three years that's a great three years for any franchise normally and the only reason the chiefs might feel a little better than that uh, for the next three seasons is that you know they have probably the best quarterback who's out there right now he's young and and a good team around him and that's rare so like uh, 31 30 seconds of the league are are super happy to take what the Patriots have done yeah. the last three years and everybody's looking at it as a reason to you know, Tom Curran wants to take away certain responsibilities from Bill and everybody's everybody's dumping on him for fifth round draft picks last year and it's like okay take a breath let him give him a chance to give him one year to rebuild you know get over the uh the opt-outs for 2020 and then let's yeah, yeah. And then figure out where you are, and, and then criticize. Waity, wait till the season happens, and criticize. You know, appropriately, go for it.
0: You called it bad faith punditry. Gasper calls it. Lord help me. He calls it inconvenient facts for us honks, bobos, and footy pajama wearers. Uh, Dan, uh, you wanted to respond to some a point that Dave made.
3: You know, actually, it wasn't just Cardona. He was saying something about uh, Zoltan Mesko too. That that mm-hmm. Mesko was a bad pick because it was he was only here for three years. Jesus, but, Paul uh, Walton, Christ. <laughs> they said something earlier that I thought was interesting about Gasper possibly not being aware of his own bad faith, and it it, it reminded me of a uh, of another tweet that Chris had. Uh, he was talking about talking about us, how, how we, you know, our psychological makeup saying, but it's always hard for people to accept or realize their previously held beliefs might not be right. They resist and resent. It's human psychology. And it's like, that's you read your own stuff. That's you, Chris. Absolutely.
0: It's it's a thousand percent. And it's, I made reference earlier to an echo chamber. He's he's started his professional career in that echo chamber Backslapping slapping cesspool skartsy it's been crazy i mean it really has been the craziness over the the past week i i swear to god it's getting worse um help me out here well
2: i think what's happening here is he's trying to you know trying to differentiate himself from all the other uh you know sports talking heads that are out there and like uh he said he's been a columnist since two thousand nine. He's been with he was with the Globe for a few years ahead of that. What did what did we know about him? What do you remember about him? You know that he used the big words, but I don't remember a thing he wrote using those big words. What was his signature moment? I mean, what being <laughs> a, a Junior Achievement Clark Booth <laughs> <laughs> Junior I,
0: Achievement
1: Clark Booth Award? Can I say it took me and the Globey goes too That was a great observation. And- uh scartelli because i i have to be honest like i've known chris for a long time but i didn't really like put him in that I, I i he wasn't really on my radar as somebody to worry about because i don't i wasn't reading his stuff it's just not essential it's not very good it's not right you know it has you know it all has the look and feel of like old bob Ryan, where the words are there and the cadence is there and the tone is there. The, the like air of, of being erudite is there. But I'd read the words and I'd go like, What is this is mush? You know what I mean? This doesn't really add up to anything. And at least with Bob Ryan, I, you know, it was it was well written, it was good um, from that perspective. And I might not always agree with it. And and, I, and also, I don't know. I mean, my memory, I haven't read a lot much of Bob Ryan in a long time, but I at least felt like Bob Ryan was trying to deal with me in good faith was with Chris. I felt like he was always bending back toward whatever the, um, and we've talked about this before, whatever the the agreed upon social agreement is that the, the narrative is, Chris would always bend back toward it. So, you know, I I, I just don't understand, like, um, no, no, so I think that's a good observation. I, I never thought he was, like, a particularly great writer. And the thing is, is they send you in and you – uh, day one, they're like, okay, you're going to cover the Patriots, right? And you're like, okay, I'm here. How do I appear to be an expert without learning anything? Because this is day one, and I got to write this column. And, uh, and I mean, I don't even I don't know much about the Cover Two defense. I don't know much about you know uh, this spread offense. Uh, what what am I supposed to do? and you look around and you judge what narratives other people are doing and then you put your little kind of twist on it and you, you express it in your voice, but really all you're doing is repeating what everyone else is saying. And one of the things that still strikes me to this day is how much uniform thinking occurs in a profession with so many strong-willed and opinionated people that everything boils down to like a binary take on any given issue and you're either strongly for it or strongly against it. And there is very little, there's nobody comes in with a third idea that's like, hey, wait a minute, I think you're all looking at this entirely wrong. And why is that? It's because no one's really carrying this on in, in good faith. Everybody's decided, right. these are the boundaries of the argument and we're just going to operate within that. And if you don't agree, you're a honk and you have an agenda and you're a, you're a Patriots fan who's just like, perpetuating the myth of bill belichick and i mean look what's the and chris actually used that term this week that people were perpetuating this myth chris will also like like they all say that bill's the greatest and they, they wouldn't rather have anybody else but there's a myth like what's the myth he won six titles in 20 years that's, it's a, it's okay to admit
2: Bill's not perfect <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> right, that's that's
0: right. and he's hitting and i made this point on social media Gasper's hitting all those media checkboxes. He called sensitive patriot fans and fanboy. He threw the fanboy thing a little oh. bit earlier out today. Um, I I just I have a hard time. He's a try. He's kind of a he's what's the opposite of a football hardo? He's like a journalistic hardo. It's this this <laughs> faux intelligence. Dan pointed out to me that anyone who actually authors the phrase. While opining on football, exigency over erudition—that's not—that's not offering any. It's not offering any value. That's that's a Breer-esque value add. It's it's trying hard for trying hard sake. You're not serving your audience. You know, stooping to you're trying to show off for yourself because you think you're better than you are. And I think the overarching narrative, Scartzi, what's happened over the past week is he has a real disdain for his audience.
2: I kind of get the feeling that, you know, maybe he thinks that he's Michael Buble to uh, Bob Ryan's Frank Sinatra, but really all he is is Frank Sinatra Jr. <laughs> that's that's that, that's a perfect
0: analogy.
1: He looks in we the mirror. End the show. That, was, that was a really good line to go out on. <laughs> he,
2: he, we're we're going to keep he, on going. We're just going to, you know, keep building and building. He looks
0: in the mirror and he sees this, you know, he he has the Globe logo on him, right? So Gasper looks in the mirror and he sees he sees Bob Ryan, Will McDonough, and Dan Shaughnessy, the three of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and he thinks he's the the next chosen one. And the fact of the matter is, Chris, you appear on weekends at the end of a newscast talking about sports for people are waiting for you to shut your pie hole so they can find out what the megabucks numbers are and so the mass lottery numbers. It's really just that simple, Dave.
1: And, and that Saturday morning show that he's been doing with, um, with a large uh, gymnasium. He, yeah,
0: the catch-up and
1: gas show. Somebody made a good point to me. I was DMing with somebody on Twitter, and they were saying, like, like that has to be just, like, like, that alone must reinforce his worldview to such a ridiculous extent. Because who's calling Sports Hub on Saturday morning? People who are looking for
0: protein recommendations up on the North Shore, that's the people who are calling. Yeah. People who don't know
1: which ketchup to use and and who has the right, what, like what bar has the right ketchup? Like those are the people calling. And of course they're going to call in and echo the nonsense. And the, the feedback loop is just going to, so, so the hub, the sports hub makes its audience stupid. And then the hosts under the hosts, like pick up on that. And they go, wow, the people really like it when we make them stupid. Let's make them stupider. Let's take it down a notch. And it's just, it's been dragged down consistently. Mm -hmm. Like, like if I'm, I would wager that since that station launched circa 2008 or nine or whatever it was, that Boston's IQ has dropped somewhere in the the range of 30 points conservatively
0: on average, Uh, on average, John made the point on the last pod we did that the Boston Herald was bought by a venture capital firm out of Colorado. And first thing they did, they slashed everything to the goddamn bone. Yeah. Same things happened with the globe. I mean, the valuation of the globe, the entity itself, when you take apart after selling the building and the land on Morrissey Boulevard, Mm -hmm. the the valuation of the globe, I believe, was actual one literal dollar. So it was actually a drag on the on the overall sale. And there's there's no. So clearly the spendthrift days of the past over. you're not going to have high salaried calmness you know shank's probably going to be the last of that generation so and there's no shortage of writers and of supposed journalists on social media doing their own version of bob seger's turn the page you know about their plight in life trying to make a buck and how they're they're hard up so dan and i have talked about this if, if you can't make a living and dave you can speak to this as well but if you can't make a living wage doing that job, how are you attracting the best and the brightest and the most intelligent thinkers? I mean, it's not, it's cause and effect, right? If you're, if there's a low barrier to entry and you're not going to get paid, you're not going to get the smartest people in the the easily manipulated.
1: Right. And I think you're mostly going to attract people whose parents have money. Like that's, that's the big thing. I mean, you need like considerable runway of cash before California bill. Well, well, I mean, and we can think of others. I mean, there's, there's, you have to make it on like my first job paid 25,000, you know, in North Carolina. And uh, you know, I, my general feeling around that time was like, I can't have a family because once I have a family, I lose all authority over my my work. Like I'm going to have to, do better in this job, and to do better in this job, I'm gonna to have to write and say whatever is going to get the most attention, and you know, and that's just not that wasn't like the devil's bargain I wanted to make. Um, you have but the then, freedom. like I, you went out,
0: you went out, and you know, you, you're an attorney, and you're the fact that you do well for yourself, back, and you yeah. have a career, and you're doing the Pat's yeah. gig as a I don't want to call it a hobby; it's a part-time job. You have the freedom. Because you have this mm-hmm. independence, if you will, you have the freedom to say what you want and the intelligence to see through the bullshit and call bullshit, as we've been saying recently in the podcast, when bullshit mm-hmm. needs to be called.
1: Well, if, if media was how I had to make my living, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. Um, I wouldn't be able to annoy people. Like, even little things. Like, going at Greg Bedard was tough because... Um, Shelise had, uh, Shalice Mansi Young had, uh, connected me to him and I, and I had known her like going way back and, and I have, you know, I, I like Shelise I have nothing personal against her. So when, when she connected me with Greg and we had that whole thing, which I've talked about on the show before about how I had said, listen, I'd love to come work for your, your no takes, um, no manufactured takes like give them, let's give them the good stuff, you know, uh, ethos that he seemed to have at the beginning and I was like let's do this and I'm like I will park cars man I will I will go shag golf balls whatever Let's do
0: nights it. weekends whatever it takes nights
1: weekends whatever right so she helped she helped connect me so then a few months later when he's like on the radio like uh, repeating what Stefan Gilmore said but doing it like in a way making fun of his voice and I'm like dude who are you like this is this is Just this is embarrassing. This is unprofessional. This is not the way you should treat people. Stephon Gilmore comes out, has a rough month, and he's out there every single time saying it's my fault. I'm going to get better. And had his bullseye on him
0: again this week as well, saying that he's a pain in the ass inside the building.
1: I well, I start going at Greg and I burn a bridge, right? And the thing is, and that's not easy to do. Well, that you feel that, but if if you're but. When you're trying to build a career you just cannot afford to build any bridges because it's the thing with with trying to get in touch with greg doesn't work out yep. you know you want to be able to turn back to that person and say hey can you can you vouch for me somewhere else Never so vouch. so there is so much social and economic pressure to toe the line within this industry if i like i like i go after tom current now half the reason that people know about me is because uh gareth gangway on twitter under one of his older accounts i wrote a story about gilmore uh the first like real sarcastic story i did for um for the monitor and gareth gangway went and got tom's attention and said retweet this and that that was like the spark that got me some kind of twitter following and some kind of audience all of that if i want that to keep happening i cannot dunk on Tom when Tom says something ridiculous. So I have to decide, it doesn't matter to me how big my Twitter audience is. Mm-hmm. I, I lost Tom. When I went after Greg, I lost Miguel. Stopped following me, um, which I, I don't think there's any person covering the Patriots who is is more pro Miguel than I am. Mm-hmm. But I understood why he did it. He had to right. because he's working for Greg at the time and he still doesn't follow me to this day. And I'm, I'm the guy who's out there. Hey, go donate to this guy's charity. I think it's great that there's a guy who's giving straight well like well-informed information and the reason anybody in this market understands the salary cap yep. for those who do it's because of miguel and he and he he's trying to raise one hundred twenty-two thousand dollars for charity this year which there are people on the beat who make less than that he is creating value for society yeah he is by giving factual information and you know but he's got to sit there and go hmm. do i follow the guy <laughs> That everyone hates, and you know these are the these you cannot violate the social agreement of circle the wagons. It's a crime family. What script. you're
0: describing is, is a crime organization.
1: Well, it's it's a self perpetuated crime organization. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, um, you made a point. Um, you made a point about if you're going to get in the into that industry, that yeah. you, you're probably going to have to come from wealthy parents. Scartsy. Uh, Breer started preaching at us uh, about a week, week and a half ago about uh, about the hard scrabble life he had with his unpaid internship. Albert Breer is kind of he fits the profile, right? He comes from the the sweet Redenbacher popcorn money, and he hard scrabbled growing up in the mean streets of Lincoln Sudbury in Columbus, Ohio, or you know checkbook graduation, um, unpaid internship. The floor is yours, Mister Scartelli.
2: Oh sure, this was a uh, this was a big uh, Twitter kerfuffle. I, mean, I think uh, I think the equivalent of two uh, two Gasper meltdowns ago. So like maybe <laughs> maybe two weeks ago, but uh, someone was talking. Someone you know posted a uh, unpaid internship opportunity, and I think maybe uh, the worldwide leader or some such thing, and the. <laughs> it we know it wasn't that,
0: the Boston Sports Journal. Actually, it might have been the Boston Sports Journal because it was unpaid.
2: Uh, exactly. Well, very, they have they have a variety of unpaid positions available <laughs> there. But the 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 crux of what people were saying was, unless you're you've got uh, unless you're independently wealthy or have rich parents, you're, you're doing the uh, doing these unpaid internships isn't uh, isn't the uh, great thing that. Uh, that the uh, the well-to-do believed that it was when they were doing it. I would like to, uh, to g- go to my father and say, "Hey,
0: I'm getting an unpaid internship," and I get I get slapped across the face. Uh, <laughs> I I really don't. I really don't. Listen, I don't know what more we can say about Gasper on this point.
2: So let's 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 put the Gasper stuff to bed.
1: Well, might need a thesaurus to say more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly i think we're i think we're okay with saying that he's a supercilious homunculus
1: <laughs> or, 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 sure I'll, put
4: it more,
0: I'll put it more succinctly he's a he's a he's a long witted gas bag uh dave you came back with a flourish last night i got a text from dave last night after i posted something kind of innocuously about uh, to pff sam the snake oil peddlers out there in cincinnati the standard deaf crew pff sam dave why don't you take it from here PF i posted something Wait. about pff sam um saying that bill belichick wouldn't be able to attract people or players to foxborough even if he bought them then he went out and bought them and yeah. the the sensitive guy himself i mean is that just because he
1: overpaid yeah. <laughs> just because he overpaid doesn't prove that he that he could buy interests
0: That's exactly, but that's
1: like, I mean,
0: is it possible? And whether it's Gasper, whether it's a a Sam from PFF is the, the inability to say that, you know, I was wrong. It doesn't say, I. it's kind of the Fonzie thing. I was wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it's, first of all, it's embarrassing when you go on Twitter and you say something stupid. It really is. And like, and everybody calls you on it and you say, and you laugh, you, you, like you throw up a laugh emoji at the idea of, of the Patriots trading for Muhammad Sanu. And then they trade a second round draft pick from Muhammad Sunu. And I have been in that, I've very specifically been in that situation. And the only thing you can do is say, you know what? I missed it. I got it wrong. I, I misread this entire situation. And I think you actually build more credibility than you lose when you own that. Uh um, yeah, you're acting in good reason, faith. Absolutely. Yeah, for some reason, people like Think that they have to get every single one of these issues right. You can't. You just can't. And I've I've gone back and I've done a little bit of a, a, a look on uh, not a deep dive per se, but a, a, I've, I've towed the waters of Sam Munson's work. And I did a search on his timeline for Belichick. And uh, I, one of the things I found interesting is that he's gotten some Belichick things right. Like he he's given Bill credit where credit was due at times. And I'm saying okay, so this guy isn't necessarily like some of these experts are. He, he isn't necessarily targeting Belichick he's not like um, it's not necessarily about Bill but he got this idea in his head about the free agents flocking to Brady that Brady was the real draw of free agency for the Patriots he's gone check the scoreboard the Patriots didn't sign any free agents last year Brady's got all these guys coming to Tampa the game has changed Brady's leading on that scoreboard okay let's unpack that a little bit first of all who are all these free agents coming to the Patriots who was it who was Brady tracking? Was it Chris Hogan in 2016? Was it, um, you know, was it,
0: uh, well, Bill's cheap. Gilmore calling, that's why in
1: 2017, because everybody said they paid for Gilmore when they signed him. Um, who like Revis, I guess, but they threw a ton of money at Revis. Like who was the big free agent that they went out and got in the last, in, in this, in this last three championship run who Revis Gilmore, those were your two big free agents. I don't know who they think that Tom Brady was drawing in. All of the other key moves that built this were all trades the Bill did. Right. He went, he went and got Danny Shelton for a, a pick swap. He went and he got Jason Cordy for a pick swap. He Ray drafted Jay Z Jackson. He went and got Trent Brown for a pick swap. He drafted Isaiah Wynn. He drafted Sony Michelle. It's like, what? Who are all these big free agents? They re-signed Dante Hightower. You know what I mean? Like he re-signed Devin McCourty. They, re- they, they extended Shaq Mason. Show me who these guys are. And then he's like, "Well, Brady got Sue to resign." Okay, Sue went there in 2019 the first time when they Jameis Winston. He had just he he had just come off of a losing Super Bowl, and the team that gave him the most money is where he went. So don't tell me that he was the big ring chaser that Tom Brady dragged in. I'm like, okay, Leonard Fournette, I guess the two, the only two guys that Brady really drew to Tampa so far mm-hmm. were Gronk who has said he will only play with Tom Brady. He said that he threatened to retire in 2018 and, yep. and, and Antonio Brown, who I'm sorry, was any team giving him a contract? Like the, the Seahawks like, like Russell Wilson won the Seahawks side him and they weren't doing it. Brady had to go talk Tampa midway through that season into doing it. And so, so I'm not understanding like this, this, this idea, and we've done we've done Sam the favor of meeting him on his level of being like this ridiculous premise that you that you introduced about the free agents. We'll meet you on that level because supposedly there was this thing about drawing free agents and ring chasers that you've quantified that I don't think exists in reality. But if you want to play it your way, Bill will just sign all these guys. And you said he couldn't, so now he's gonna you know he's gonna add context and he's gonna. Um, retcon, like a whole set of criteria, that, but like you can't overpay guys. Okay. Let's go through the overpaying. People want to say overpaid Nelson Aguilar. I think if you look at his deal, like the one year or the two years, 23 million, that would be, I think a little overpaying. I also think that that looks to me like a bit of a compromise between a one year deal and a three year deal, the way That's it's structured. 100%. And I think that they're going to pay a hefty break fee if they, if they let him go next year. And I think if they don't, they're going to restructure and, Pay him appropriate value because cap number for this year is seven. Number. But anyway, let's just say, also I'll give you Nelson an algorithm. I'll give you that he paid the most to those top two free agents who were the, on the tight end market, who were the top two free agents on the tight end market. He swooped in, he said, I have the most cash. I'm going to use my, my resources where I have them to get the, the exact two players I want. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that uh, at a time when I think we might be looking at some inflation coming into the NFL, cap's going to go up a little bit. But then if the, the TV deal comes through, it could go up a lot. And so maybe their contracts are going to look a little smarter a couple years down the road. But I, okay, I, but a thousand percent. If I want to give you those three, give, look, go through the rest. David Andrews took less to stay here. Trent Brown took less to come back. Matt Judon is making like $10 million. He's a, he's a, he's a, an edge rusher who can rush the passer. He can drop in a coverage and he can play against the run. What, what am I missing? He's not, he's not a superstar, but he's not making superstar money. He's making $10 million. What's the problem? So the nose tackle, they signed his name. All of a sudden, I can't remember $8 million is God, and Henry Anderson. Right? Yes. $8 million is not ridiculous for a nose tackle. He don't overpay. so, so I don't know. Okay, so like Levante David took less money to stay with the team he's been with for his entire career in, in Tampa. Was that because of Tom Brady? I don't know. I mean, yeah, all those guys want to come back and win a Super Bowl, I get it. But but this premise, this idea that like of the scoreboard, and it, it's, this, it's this completely false reality. And it's it's like I was describing earlier, like the experts invent these sort of narrative boundaries that they want to play within and uh, have any of you ever heard of luminiferous ether? Not me. I'm feeling like Scartelli maybe was the one I, who might have. Do you know Scartelli? Do you know about the luminiferous ether?
2: I, think I saw them at it, Bonnaroo. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I actually don't. So
1: So this is so this is from um, physics. This is like theoretical physics. Okay, and i and I'll make it as simple as possible. And it's just something I know because I read a, a biography about uh, Albert Einstein. But in the late 1900s, everybody had this theory that there was this stuff called ether and that light light moved as a wave the way sound does. And the only way that that made sense was if, if we had something in the air for light to bounce off of. So we're going to come up with this stuff called ether and we'll all just agree that it's there and it's, it exists and it's real. It's and like, so then- What's that?
2: It's like epicycles. That's how they explained the uh, planets moving backward
1: if the Earth was the center of the uh, solar system. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Like We've got this conclusion. We believe the Earth has to be the center of the universe. How do we explain that to ourselves? We believe light moves as a wave. How do we explain that to ourselves? And then somebody came along and was like, hey, um, the speed of light is constant. We did some tests, and light always moves at the exact same speed. So light can't be a wave, right? And everyone's like, "Nah, it's still a wave." And then Einstein, with his special theory of relativity, came along and basically proved that this was all bullshit. It, and and no one accepted it. Like when when I, it's the most important uh, discovery in his field in the in the twentieth century, and no one believes that this was happening. Okay. So in nineteen o five, special relativity comes out. When Einstein won his uh, Nobel Prize in physics, it was not for the thing he's famous for. It was for his work on the photoelectric effect, which is like, you know, uh, giving Bon Jovi a Grammy for like an album he put out in in 2018. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, that's not what Bon Jovi is known for. Um, So anyway, the point is, everyone was working backwards from the conclusion. And that's what we have here. Is that everyone's convinced themselves that this is why free agents go where they go? Well, mm-hmm. when you go in the locker room and you actually talk to these guys, that's not why. Martellus Bennett wanted a championship more than anything. But when I talked to him in, in before, right before the Super Bowl in 2016, he was like, Look, I don't know how much I, I think I'm done. I think my next contract is going to be the last one. And you know who he went to after he won his championship? The team that gave him the most money because. because there are he's got to think of his family there's all of these considerations that go into it to boil it down to well tom brady left the patriots and i don't think they're going to win a super bowl it was silly
0: dave i hate to i really hate but i think we're gonna have to cut that out because the the einstein theory of spouse was actually talked about on the off day podcast with andy hart and ryan <laughs> hannibal so with the high let's leave the highbrow talk to them uh john john uh you're on the clock here. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna yes, stay away is. from the physics. I'm gonna stay away from the physics. I want to go back to a couple points though. The, the bad faith punditry. I think it was a Dave comment a yes. while back. And Mike, your comment, the inability to admit you're wrong. Right now, if we were in the bad faith punditry business, we could go on a seven day tweet storm about James White not choosing to play with his best friend Tom Brady in Tampa. Yes. and that means yes. and that means Brady can't recruit because he can't get James White down there, right? And we would go on and on about how maybe Brady isn't a great recruiter, but we're not really interested in that sort of garbage. Well, right? maybe, Tanya t- argument, yeah.
0: maybe Tanya we're- Ray takes is right and that Cam hey. Newton's doing all this recruiting.
4: <laughs> or, or, you know, right, exactly. Or we could say it's you know, Cam Newton's ability to get Matt Juden. I mean, anybody can make up stupid stuff and say it and even stand behind it if they're about the clicks or, or whatever. But, you know, I want to get to the point you made about that inability, you know, not to get all philosophical again, you know, Gasper with his, with his looking in the mirror philosophy tweet uh, about human nature. But I, I oh. really don't get the inability to admit you're wrong because it is, it, you know, friend of the pod freezing cold takes, right? They They've done a wonderful job of you know highlighting bad takes and you really see that intersection of folks who kind of get it and are able to laugh at themselves and then they get a ton of likes and a ton of respect in the comments because they're just willing to take the l as the kids say and willing to say oh man like i totally blew that but then boston media doesn't seem to have hardly anybody like that i mean bedard is still you know defending himself on his gronk take right if if bedard had said years ago uh, you know, geez, I, I blew that. I blew that. You know, I thought the guy was injured, injury prone in college. You know, he didn't seem like he'd hold up. I I didn't see it. The guy's maybe the greatest tight end of all time. I really blew it. Like people would would be okay with that. It wouldn't still get thrown in his face all the time. But that inability to admit you're wrong is one of the biggest vulnerabilities yes. among the Boston yeah. media. If they, if they yeah. weren't caught to it, frankly, it would be a lot more fun you know, to read some of these
0: guys. I think they're dying on a hill, John, in large part, because uh, how, how do I put this? Journalists I think they, are out of shape. Right. I think there's, there might be, maybe they see the writing on the wall that their, the profession is, in, is increasingly irrelevant. And I, I say it's a useless profession. It's definitely increasingly irrelevant. Dan, do you have any thoughts on uh, what were the, the recent
3: talk here on the pod? Yeah, well, th- this is about Sam Munson. Uh, I was looking back at some converse, uh, Twitter communications I had back and forth with him, and, and I th- think this speaks a little bit to his mentality. Um, now, ostensibly, he's you know, in, in the business of analytics, and he's supposed to have some empirical evidence behind everything that he's you – know, the, the logic that he's spewing. But um, a year ago, this was just after Brady uh, signed with Tampa – he was criticizing the Patriots because they had Stidham and, and his, his argument wasn't, you know, we've looked at Stidham, Stidham he's a bad guy. He said, Stidham is a mid round guy. And, and because being, just being a mid round guy and, you know, forgetting what we might think of Stidham now after this past season, that's we not watched enough to go on. Yeah. And, and I've, I was so I was arguing back and forth. And he came back with this. He said they've churned through a lot of quarterbacks through the Brady era. We really shouldn't be giving them automatic credit for a guy being there a while. Now let's first of all, you know, when you have the the goat in place, you're not necessarily looking to replace them until later in the in there when they bring in Garoppolo. But even so, they brought in guys that all started with other other teams along the way, whether it was Garoppolo or a castle or uh Brissett or a Hoyer, or uh, I don't even know, but Mallet even got a little bit of time starting in, in other places as well. So that shouldn't be the first uh, logical point. Well, he's a fourth round pick, so we can't get anything from him.
0: No, I, I agree a hundred percent. Everyone's painfully aware of, of what I think of the pro football focus stuff. It is, um, you're reaching your you're confirmation bias. You're just you're casting out these these grades to confirm what you already believe. So um, the pro football focus stuff. Um, I think, Dave, you did a great job exposing them for who they were on Twitter last night. It's the, the, Whether it's PFF Greg or PFF Sam or PFF Collinsworth, I, they, they're to be viewed with a jaundiced eye for damn sure. Um, I don't, I want to go back one last thing about Gasper before we wrap things up here. I railed a lot in the last podcast about intellectual dishonesty. Gasper, when he was making picks, the globe, he had a particularly wretched week and got wrote boom, roasted for it. Right. He,
1: he picked, it was, it was week one in 2017. He picked the the Texans to beat the Patriots.
0: Yes. And got got, roasted.
1: And couldn't handle it and revealed what.
0: He revealed that he was on vacation in Europe and that an intern made his picks. Maybe I don't think you were interning for the globe at that time. You're at the monitor, but no, no. again, the intellectual, the intellectual dishonesty in that industry, and I think that man, like the, you can't the heat, own, the heat like that you, they throw and they can't take. It's 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 John said it's
1: gross. Imagine needing to be right that bad that you kind of reveal the sham going on about these picks that, well, I, first of all, it starts off with, I was on vacation in Europe and it's like, okay, okay let's be, let's be a little more relatable maybe to the audience who your job is picking football games. You could do that from Europe. And if it meant this much to you to be right, you would have done it. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think you're, you're already off to a terrible start. <laughs> and then it's like, Hey, dude, um, why can't you just be like, yeah, I didn't get that one. You know, why do you reveal that the that the, the Globes picks thing is kind of, you know, a little bit of a fraud to get people, you know, to follow along every week and get some clicks going and yada yada because people kind of like that stuff. But it's not really like anybody's nobody's really sitting there with uh, with spreadsheets and trying to figure out who's going to win this game. It's all just a show.
0: Yeah, it is. It's it's in the how he said it, it was like the tone is like. Well, I was having lobster in Belize, and I couldn't be bothered with the great unwashed to make my picks. John, uh, John, go ahead.
4: Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the PFF stuff, and and kind of in the context of broader bad faith punditry. Uh, I've commented in recent pods how it bothers me when the national guys, and I'll put PFF in in that space. The national guys concoct a bad faith argument and kind of bang hard on it. Um, it, it's a it's it's a, a pet peeve of mine, and I'd like to think. And where PFF Sam really kind of annoyed me in, in you know this whole Brady Belichick thing is not just that he was wrong and refused to admit it, but the stuff that the players who came to New England said. Right? It's yes. like nobody's going to remember this unless we make them remember it. Right? So, like, let me read a couple things. This was in a clip. I think it was Reese's piece. Where he, you know, I think folks are familiar with the Jalen Mills story. He's in the cafeteria and he turns, he he sees Belichick. This is effing coach Belichick, right? I mean, that's Jalen Mills. Devon Godshaw called it a, quote, no brainer to sign with the Patriots because, quote, being able to coach by arguably the greatest coach of all time. Henry Anderson said he'd long admired Belichick's defense. Trent Brown said, I've worn a lot of jerseys in my life, but I've never been more proud than when I put on a Patriots jersey. Raquan McMillan, said he passed on two or three other scheduled visits after meeting with Belichick, right? Said that, you know, coach Belichick told him that he's been watching his career for a player. You're talking to a hall of fame coach that really inspired me. I mean, I want to keep that clip, right? Because we're going to be dealing with this stuff next year, the year, basically as long as we have Belichick, people are going to create these fake, bad faith narratives around, you know, who's recruiting, who is it, you know, Brady versus Belichick on the scoreboard. It's like not everybody, you know, everybody who listens to this pod knows none of that garbage matters. We've had the pleasure of watching the best ever do it for the last 20 years and counting. Right. And no amount of like garbage from PFF, George, Sam, Fred, you know nancy whatever those guys are with their underscore between pff and their name or guys like gasper or yep. guys like Bedard, or you yep. know none of those guys influence going back to the very first point we we're making on the pod or at least that i made the democratization of expertise none of those guys influence us at this point right we are influenced by the accessibility of the players what they're saying and what we see with our own eyes
0: thousand percent to wrap up on on well not to wrap up on sam but i want to read the last part of his tweet to dave last night post-divorce brady's like a magnet to ring chasers and bb can't buy interest in people coming to england everything john you just cited is just i mean facts destroying narratives and regarding pfff sam a real monsoon
3: dan uh what do you think about pff sam well, I think uh, Bill Belichick should have the last word on pro football focus. Uh, I don't remember the year, but he, uh, he was asked in, in one press conference a question about uh, quarterback release time. And he rightly responded that, first of all, that there's a lot of cr- criteria that could happen, you know, is the receiver open? But he said, uh, what the hell is that? I mean, you could look at these advanced websites and metric them, whatever you want. I don't know. I have no idea. I've never looked at one. I don't even care to look at one. I don't care what they say.
0: I'm going to have to call a doctor in four hours after you're reading that Scartelli. Uh, you have any last thoughts on the, the pro football farce out in Cincinnati?
2: There's a a lot's been said, a lot more will be said, but we know what the score is and whether it's on the uh, hundred point scale or their old, uh, you know, four, five, six point scale.
0: Agreed. Um, Dave, last points before we wrap up.
1: No, I think, I think Dan just hit it there. Uh, there was a couple of years ago one thing Sam actually commented on was when Bill said that he doesn't use analytics. In a separate thing, he was just kind of like, no, I don't use analytics to make decisions on on like third down or whatever. And Sam Munson was like, if people think this he's ridiculous. And it's like, well, no, Bill knows what the analytics are. He knows that like the broad data of if you should go for it on fourth and 2 or fourth and 4, what Bill considers though is can the 11 guys that I have out on offense gain three yards versus the 11 guys that they have out on defense with Mm -hmm. the the personnel they have and scheme and so forth. And that's where everything gets lost in all this data. These guys sit there and they run these huge broad numbers and they, and they decide that somebody's right or wrong, but they're using the historic criteria of everybody who's ever tried to get uh, three yards on fourth down. They're not using the criteria of who's on the field right now. And that's the point that Bill is trying to make. And of course, it all gets dragged down into a ridiculous debate that has nothing to do with the actual
0: decision. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Tommy Curran making his weekly appearance on this podcast. Tom has in his Twitter header. It's an absolute great point. It's a quote from Akib Tlaib. People that dry hump stats to make a point probably prefer reading sheet music to hearing the song. And I think that's Akib Tlaib, well put. Uh, John, last thoughts? I, I just... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Why
2: didn't we have a uh you know an audio link of a keep saying that?
0: <laughs> I wonder why. I
4: wonder why. Uh John, last thoughts. Well, it's uh it's been good to have Dave back on. I I you know made the William Randolph Hearst comment earlier. I knew you wouldn't disappoint with Einstein and, and <laughs> you know physics. So it's uh I've I've long enjoyed the pod, honestly, straight up, I've long enjoyed the pod. So it's it's fun to to to, you know, chime in with you and, and I'm glad you were able to hop in. Me too. Thank you. All right. Oh, yeah. uh, it's d- not like we got the band back together. This is, you know, a
2: whole, whole different uh, kettle of fish here.
0: It certainly is Scartelli. Uh, Pat Scartell is at the 15net.com. The sports drunk drawer will be coming this week. Dan Staley at Patriots Daily. Uh, John Irons at that John Irons. Dave Brown, thank you for being a guest on your own podcast. Um, it's a, it's kind of amazing. We set out, we've agreed on Friday that we were going to do a podcast over the weekend on the premise over the trades that happened on Friday with Miami moving back uh, and then back in to the top 10 and then San Francisco moving up and how that was going to affect everything. And just these, these assholes keep ste- stepping on their own dicks and showing their asses and we had to scrap everything. And anyway, it's over with uh, thank you to everybody. The email address is entitled town at gmail.com uh thank you for listening everybody and it's more important now than ever turn off your radio
1: and we're gonna stay positive all the way through and if you think i'm gonna uh, succumb to negativity you're wrong you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team don't worry nobody's listening anyway